Our scripture lesson is from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read from chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Well, let's start in my world. I need a new roof on my house. I'm not advertising for roofers tonight. I I think I'm going to be okay. I had one come to the house yesterday morning. I've never met him before. He stayed about an hour. And he did what I think roofers should do. You know, he got up on the roof and he took pictures and all those good things. And I'm supposed to get a price later this week. But I sensed in that hour that he was just as interested in telling me his life story as he was in talking about my roof. I know a lot about him now. I know he's 52 years old. I know that for about 30 years he was far from God. His life was a mess. 
And then somehow God began to break in his life and he's had it turned around dramatically in the last 20 years. And he's clearly someone who at every opportunity shares the story of his relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was already thinking about myself. Of course, I do a lot of that because I thought about my story. In just a few days, it will be 60 years. I was 18 years old. I had been away from home for a year. I had walked away from the church. I really was far from God. And he broke into my life and turned me around. And I experienced forgiveness in relation to Jesus. But I didn't come really to tell you in detail about the roofer or about me. Because there's a third person. And the third person is the one we've just read about. I want to talk with you for a minute, few minutes about this woman and her experience with forgiveness. Particularly forgiveness, but also humility and love. Hmm. Let me tell you the story, though, even though we've read it, it's a good story. It's a true story about real people from 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to sketch it in two scenes. And I'm going to do it backwards. We're going to do scene two first. Scene two is what's here. And then I'm going to imagine with you scene one, because I'm convinced there was a scene one before this story was written. In scene two, of course, we see that Jesus has come to town. Now, he's been around for a while. He's been very popular. In fact, he's been so popular that the religious leaders, oh no, we know them as Pharisees, the religious leaders had been, they've noticed him, they're, 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 they're discussing among themselves, how should we react to him? What do we do about this new religious teacher? And finally, one man, his name is Simon, I guess he couldn't wait any longer, and he decided he'd move ahead of the rest of the Pharisees, and he would make sure something was done about this Jesus. Well, he took a bold step. He invited Jesus to dinner. Bold, because if Jesus turns out to be a good guy, Simon looks really good for being the first to recognize him. If he turns out to be a bad guy, oh, then Simon made a big mistake in inviting him. So he invites him, but he's, he's cautious about the invitation. He says, you know, come to my house, have dinner with me, but he didn't show any of the special courtesies that you would have expected in that situation. I mean, he could have had a servant wash his feet, couldn't he? That would have surely happened in almost every instance in that setting. Uh, he, he could have greeted him by kissing his cheek. That was the common practice in the day. He could even have anointed his head with oil. Well, that had been customary all the way back to Psalm 23 in the Old Testament. But you notice Simon didn't do any of those things. Simon is very careful here to express curiosity without any kind of commitment to this religious leader. Now, as the scene unfolds, assuming this was a typical 
uh, house and event of the day, there would have been a dining room that they all gathered in about 15 by 15, probably the size, many of you have a dining room or a living room about that size. It would have had a U-shaped table on the floor, just a few inches high. There would have been cushions scattered around the room. And the men who had come as the invited guests, assuming they're all right-handed, would be stretched out with the left arm on the cushion, resting their legs away from the table so that they can eat as the meal is served. And probably there was a second group of people because it was not unusual in that day to have a second group who sat around the edge, you know, leaned against the wall. They weren't invited. They're just there to watch. And if this is a typical small town, you know, there's not that much going on. And this has some potential, doesn't it, with this Jesus talking with Simon. <sighs> and so the meal's going on, and suddenly it gets very quiet. Very quiet quiet, because there's a woman who has come into the room, and the town was small enough that probably she was not a stranger to anybody there. They all knew who she was, and she apparently just ignored all of them. She went directly to where Jesus was. She knelt at his feet, and now all eyes are on Jesus. What will he do? How will he handle this very awkward situation? What's he going to do? And he didn't do anything. That was really strange. And as they continue to watch, she begins to cry. And because of where she is, the tears are rolling down and they're, they're, they're coming down onto his feet. And either before she came in or at that moment, she loosened her hair and it's hanging down. This is a terrible error. You do not do this in this culture. That's altogether wrong. It's shameful. And then she begins to use her hair to wipe away the tears that she has dripped on his feet. And now her face is close to the feet of Jesus and she begins kissing them. All this is wrong. It's so wrong. And during all of it, I see Simon over there watching in horror. Everything that could go wrong at his dinner party is going wrong. What is he going? Doesn't Jesus know who she is? It's obvious to everybody in the room who she is. If Jesus were a prophet... He wouldn't let this woman touch him. Well, it must have seemed like forever before anything else happened. And then finally, Jesus spoke into the silence and the embarrassment of the moment. He said, Simon, I have a story to tell you. Two men managed to get in debt. They owed, both owed the same third man some money. Uh, the one a lot of money, and the one a little money. And frankly, they were both broke. Neither of them could pay at all. And the third man canceled both of their debts. 
Now, Simon, which of those would love the third man more? I doubt if Simon answered very quickly on this occasion either. You almost get the sense that when he finally does, he's pretty indifferent in the way he responds. Uh, well, uh, I suppose the one with the larger debt. <laughs> and as we read the scriptures, you know then that Jesus went ahead and applied the story to the situation. Now, during all this time, the woman has not said a word, and no one has said a word to the woman. She's just sort of there. And now Jesus turns to her and speaks to her and says to her, go on home. Your faith has been accepted. You are at peace with God. I've taken quite a bit of time to rehearse the story because I think it's one of the most wonderful stories in the Bible. And I hope you never, never, never forget this story. Here, here's Luke. He's a medical doctor. Uh, he could well have been a his, uh, professional historian as well. He, he wrote you know, the large gospel of Luke and the whole book of Acts. And he's captured for us a scene that powerfully shows us what forgiveness is all about. <laughs> That's a pretty basic need in our lives, isn't it? To be forgiven. And it's that experience of finding forgiveness that in turn brings humility and then brings love into our lives. <laughs> the story's powerful in itself. And I, I, I don't want to lose that by saying too much about it, but let me make three observations about it. First, a bit about the nature of forgiveness. My dictionary says to forgive is to give up all claim to punish. Now, you understand this from experience. You have no trouble remembering when somebody wronged you and your reaction, what you wanted to do was do something to get back at that person. And then I hope that maybe over a period of time, you were able to say, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to get even. I'm just going to let it go. And you forgive, which means that you no longer have any claim to punish the other person. Hmm. Now, obviously, there had been failure. There'd been failure in this woman's life. If she had any failure, wouldn't be need for forgiveness. And in the first century, the word that was used to deal with a woman like this, the label was sinner. Sinner. I'm sure there was a snarl that went with it. And well, perhaps no one here tonight is guilty of her particular sin, but we're all guilty. Isn't that the message of the Bible? It's not that there is a particular sin that's so bad and just those who commit that sin are in trouble. No, it's, the Bible's very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And since that's true, that there's universal failure, that there's universal sin, then there's also universal need for forgiveness, which is why this story is so relevant and so important for us to hear and remember. Let me say a word about the emotional side, the feeling side. There really is no forgiveness without guilt feelings. You know, I think it's pretty obvious this woman felt guilty. She wasn't, you know, walking around town saying, oh, look how wonderful I am. Simon, on the other hand, apparently isn't feeling much of the way of guilt, if anything. You just don't get any sense of guilt feelings for Simon. You can see his response in the way he answered Jesus about the two men who were in debt. Now, it's easy to miss something right here. Simon says the person who is forgiven a lot will love more than the person who's forgiven a little. And so there have been times through the ages people have asked, well, then shouldn't I sin a lot more? Because the more I sin, the more I'll be loved. Well, the Apostle Paul dealt with that in Romans 6, didn't he? He said, shall we sin more that grace may abound? And he's horrified. He backs off real quickly and says, absolutely not. So if you thought about that in the story, erase that piece. It's not that there's encouragement for more sin so there can be more forgiveness. No. I think he's getting at, what Jesus is getting at, is the subjective side, the response when we are forgiven. If you're sensitive to the reality that you have sinned a lot and then you are forgiven a lot, of course you'll love much. That's what Jesus says. And even Simon was able to understand that. I, I tried to figure out, you know, what kind of money is this? And I best I can come up with in DuPage County in 2016, the little guy owed $10,000. Oh, that'll get me a new roof, right? That, that's, I can figure out that out. That's no small amount, but it's, you know, you can deal with for 10000 The other guy probably owed 100000 Now, if you wake up tomorrow you, or you get in the mail a thing saying oh, you owe $100,000 you weren't expecting, that'll probably get your attention. So little amount, big amount in the story. Now, Simon didn't seem to get it, did he? He's insensitive to his own sin, and so he doesn't appreciate Jesus in this incident. I was trying to think, how do we go from 2,000 years ago to now in the American culture? Well, in our culture, of course, we're very aware that things are not the way they should be. And if we weren't aware of that a month ago, we certainly are now. Every day brings a new horrendous thing in our world, and we react and we say, that's terrible, that ought not to be. Why are, you know, why are people doing that? So we're aware of things that are bad, but we rarely put on them the label sin. Uh, whatever terrible things happen today, and I understand there were some, probably you won't hear the word sin connected with them. 
most of the times we Americans seem to identify more with Simon in looking at life than we do with the woman. So if you really don't think your sin's very serious, then you probably won't see the importance of forgiveness. But this woman, this woman, oh, she realized that there would be no forgiveness without feelings of guilt. (laughs) But more importantly, she realized somewhere along the line here, there would be no forgiveness apart from Jesus. So, I mean, the, the, the scene is so powerful and so beautiful because she realized having right standing with God is all about this Jesus that's here before her. Now, I think all of the, I've said up this, this far, is scene two. Now, I can't prove scene one, but I'm going to sketch it for you and see if it doesn't make sense to you. I don't think this is the first time she's heard of Jesus. She had already found forgiveness through him. Her, what she does is somebody who's already experienced forgiveness. Perhaps she was even that day, there that day when he said, Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Somewhere along the way, she had met Jesus. She'd come to an appreciation of the nature of forgiveness. She knew it involved the taking away of her sin. She'd learned something of grace. And so each thing that happened as she initiated with Jesus is an act of gratitude, of thankfulness, of appreciation for forgiveness. Well, I could quit now, okay? And if I don't want to say anything more that will cause you to forget what's happened so far, because it's all about forgiveness in this passage. But let me say a little bit about humility. The response of this woman helps us see that there is indeed a relationship between forgiveness and humility. <laughs> My dictionary says humility is the absence of pride or (laughs) self-assertion. Wow. That captures this woman, doesn't it? The absence of pride or self-assertion. You can see the attitude of humility in her behavior in this occasion. She took the position of a servant. (laughs) You know, washing feet is a servant's role. And then she used her hair, her glory which was even more humbling. I don't think she would have done that before. I don't think until she had an encounter with Jesus that she would have used her hair the way she did with his feet. Only the experience of forgiveness would make her willing to humiliate herself before that hostile crowd. You say, well, but this is not the only time in the Gospels something like this happened. No, it didn't. It happened again a couple years later, didn't it? That time it was Mary of Bethany. You know, remember Mary and Martha and the brother Lazarus. 
Mary did the same thing, but she did it in the friendly atmosphere of her own home. She had it with people around her who loved her, altogether different than this one. You know, Martha had once complained about the attitude of Mary, but now Mary has the attitude of a servant, and she's willing to humble herself before Jesus. Actually, this thing happened a third time, didn't it? Remember the night before Jesus died? No servant to wash the feet, and he takes the basin, and he takes the role of the servant. Forgiveness leads to humility. And so that raises a question for me and a question for you. Which attitude do I have? The attitude of Simon? or the attitude of the woman. A couple comments add a third word. Forgiveness, humility, love. I think what we see in this story helps us see the relationship between forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and humility, yes, but forgiveness and love. Isn't that what the woman was saying to Jesus in verse 38? I'll read it again. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. All those actions sound to me like she's saying, Jesus, I love you. She really didn't need any words, did she? And I think, well, now, how's that relate to my life? I grew up in a church where we sang the Psalms, and so we'd sing often Psalm 116, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. And then 60 years ago this month, those words became real when I was converted, when I was forgiven when I came into a relationship with Jesus. This woman didn't need the words. She didn't have to sing Psalm 116 on that occasion. She was living those words. Jesus, I love you. And Jesus put her actions into words when he told the story to Simon, didn't he? His question was asked, now which of them will love him more? You see, when we have experienced forgiveness, then we will learn to love and will express our love in action, even as this woman did. Bring it to a conclusion. My desire for you and my desire for me is that we'll have a powerful sense of forgiveness and that we'll demonstrate our gratitude to Jesus for that forgiveness by a lifestyle of humility and love. Luke wrote 23 chapters in his gospel. Of course, the chapter headings were added much later. He wrote 23 chapters, but I think if he had been asked, Luke, could you take the 23 chapters and bring them down to one sentence? Here's the sentence he might have chosen. The Son of Man came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. That's the woman. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the story of the roofer at my door yesterday. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's my testimony tonight. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost.